0: I went to uh, Lucha Libre a little bit ago, and the, my favorite wrestler is this guy named Nacho, and he was he had this like uh, well he had a big belly like but it was he was in like a turquoise spandex and he was my hero he lost, but he was my hero I, I got pictures on my phone and I'm like, nacho because science you guys don't care all right um I don't have any announcement for you because we're just on that CTV thing set. So if you are new, welcome. Nachos. I do like nachos, though. It means nothing. But anyway, eh, uh, welcome. Uh, If you are new, uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes that go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about, as well as some questions to go deeper. And on the back, CTV, because science. Right on the back of that. How great is that? If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on More, and then Events in Uversion will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Uh, this is Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8, and it says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Uh, let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a wise people, uh, who take rebuke and correction in the ways that it is intended, and that we would grow to be more wise, that we would listen to, most importantly, the things that you say to us and that then we would live out in our life in wise ways, where we would bring wisdom to the world around us because we trust you. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we're doing this series called Proverbs to help us understand how to bring about a culture that is counter to the culture in which we live in today, a counterculture. And when I say that, I always have my disclaimer That's not us going out and holding signs and protesting and riots. It means that we are a people who are for goodness and grace and righteousness and, and all those good things because if we are consistent in our lives by how we trust Jesus and live out our lives, that will begin to affect the families around us. It will affect our friendships around us, and the workplaces that we are in, and culture will begin to change. So Proverbs is a book that teaches us how to live in the wisdom to do this, to understand wisdom, the importance of wisdom in all that we do, because if we want to bring about true and lasting change around us, we must be a people who not only understand the culture around us, but also understand the type of people God calls us to be. According to 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are called ambassadors of Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you're an ambassador for who he is to this world. That means we represent Him to this world. So we always have to ask, how are we doing? That's exactly what happened in first service, uh, right? Because sometimes not, not, not the greatest. Today we live, we live in what's called a pluralistic society. A pluralistic society, a society that's got a diverse different people in it. Uh, people believe a lot of different things about a lot of... Different things, okay? Pluralistic societies are supposed to tolerate many varied beliefs that don't match their own. But typically throughout history, pluralistic societies have always come to a head around one issue, and that issue is morality. Uh, Today, we fight about what is good and what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. Most of us don't realize this because we think we're such smart moderns and those ancient people were so stupid. But in ancient societies, they had actually much more consensus about morality than we do today. And partly I think that's because they saw moral standards as important and crucial as they are. They don't really address many of the situations that people face It's like whatever we think the rules are, they don't apply to the mass majority of situations that we find ourselves in day to day. And so if we decide we're not going to make an absolute mess of our lives, what we need is wisdom. Wisdom is wisdom. Now typically in cultures you have people that run into two different things. One side is like we're going to be science and facts and the other side is we're going to be moral and and that's you know churches and synagogues things like that. We'll talk about morality, but what we need is something that's overlooked many times by both sides and that is wisdom. It's not just scientific knowledge, it's not just moral goodness, it's wisdom. Proverbs eight, ten, and 11 Wisdom speaks of itself like this Take my instruction instead of silver And knowledge rather than choice gold For wisdom is better than jewels And all that you may desire cannot compare with her Wisdom says It is better than anything you may desire and that means it's, it's more important to us than all the wealth and fame and all the power in the world. Now, those who have wealth and fame and power might disagree with me when I say that, but Proverbs would just call them foolish for believing that. So, hey, I didn't have to say it. Proverbs did. There you go. So, why is this foolish? Well, really, only a tiny minority of people ever get to the thing in their life that they dreamed about. A few people ever get there. And when you do get there and get that thing, it typically falls apart. And so wisdom becomes infinitely more than all the fame and looks and good circumstances. The reason the Bible tells us to think about wisdom a lot and pursue wisdom is because not a lot of people actually do. It's not well known in a lot of churches, and it's not well known in a lot of cultures, because true wisdom is not the same thing as just moral goodness or scientific knowledge. It can be related to those things, but it isn't those things. I have this quote by Tim Keller, and I was like, man, shocker, I know. Like, Like, I... What we're, the next series we're doing is actually out of a Tim Keller book, so I was reading a lot of Keller at the time. I read a lot of Keller anyway, but, uh, and so I'm like, why do I have all these quotes? Well, it's because I was reading a lot of the time, so anyway, you don't care. Uh, Tim Keller, he says this, it's not enough to be a people of vision. It's not enough to be a people of principle. You have to be a people of wisdom or you're going to ruin your life and the lives of the people around you. So knowledge is kind of like this. Knowledge will help you to know how to choose the next car that you may buy, something like that, or the next house, or the, or the right medicine for your heartburn, or the constipation, or something like that. But for the major, vast majority of situations we face, right, that doesn't really help. Like, uh, who do you marry, or do you get married, or who should you date, do you break up, what career should you go into, should you move, should you not move, should you go to another job? Uh, you know there's all these things should you confront that person should you hold back a lot of those things moral rules don't necessarily cover and if it doesn't cover them then knowledge isn't enough knowledge isn't enough we've got to understand we live in a culture where on one hand people are all scientific facts that this is going to solve everything on the other side moral communities are this morality is going to solve everything and everybody keeps overlooking this thing called wisdom This thing called wisdom. We must be a people who live in wisdom. I think cultures perish for a lack of real wisdom. So what's the definition of true wisdom? Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. If you read the whole book of Proverbs, you'll find these synonyms continue to come up over and over again about wisdom. Wisdom speaks of itself, and this is what it says. Proverbs eight twelve. I, wisdom, deal with prudence. Uh, go down to verse 14. I have insight. I have strength. There's a lot of other things it says, but these are really kind of important for what we're talking about. Uh, many of the Hebrew words that, that deal with wisdom and the definition of it throughout the book gives you these perspectives on it. Wisdom has insight. The Hebrew word for that, it means to know how things really work to know why things actually happen where it says wisdom dwells with prudence prudence isn't really the best english translation because again that word kind of means uh, knowing why things are the way that they are it's it's like sherlock holmes like so you've all heard of sherlock holmes yeah, just making sure you guys are awake because you're like dead this morning. Okay, so Sherlock Holmes, he walks into a room and he sees all these things. We see like a mess. It's like, that looks like my bedroom. It's a mess. But Sherlock Holmes walks in and he sees clues. We see blurs. He sees distinctions. Wisdom is knowing how things really happen in the world and why they're happening that way. Uh, Proverbs 8, verse 15. By me king's reign and rulers decree what is just. So wisdom decrees the right things. It's knowing how things really work and how things really are. And then what we should then do about those things. Gerard von Rad says, Wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. It's knowing what's right, especially in situations where all of the rules don't necessarily apply. Now, what typically trips us up as a people where the rules don't apply the most is within interpersonal relationships. Uh, most of us have friends or people we talk to or work with so we have these interpersonal relationships and what I want to do with you today is take a lot of the stuff we've talked about before in Proverbs it's okay if you missed it don't worry you don't have to go back to that but if you have in here this might make a little more sense to you because I'm going to bring together wisdom and foolishness and anger and all these things to put it around together I think it's something that's very practical again I I really want today to be practical for you so I hope that's where it goes unless I totally tank it then it's all my fault and, and not yours but that's where I want to go. How things really work in these interpersonal relationships. Relationships are very important to God. Uh, Jesus' death and resurrection was not just meant to bring us back in relationship with God, but also one another again. Because Jesus died for that sin that you want somebody to pay for, he died for that as well. And so most people, when you talk to them today, they think that they are nice and smart and responsible people. Even if they aren't, most of us think we are that way. I was listening to this lecture by Henry Cloud, who's a psychologist, and he said that usually the nice, responsible people who have a lot of problems in the relationship because they're not as nice and responsible as they think that they are. No? Okay. Okay. Apparently, that's not any of you. Okay. Uh, he says, if you're a nice and responsible person, you assume that everyone else is going to be nice and responsible around you. And when a nice, responsible person steps on someone's toes or hurts someone else or cuts them off in traffic, we assume that people are going to be nice and responsible back to us. But then we realize none of us are really nice and responsible, so it all goes out the window. Uh, like, you ever do really well, like on a given day, you get out of bed, you get up on the right side of the bed, and everything just feels like it's firing right, your brain thinks well, and someone says something to you or Cut you off or steps on your toes and just, just kind of rolls right off you. Any ever happen? Yeah. And you're like, no. Okay, seriously, you guys need, need to hook uh, up on the right side of the bed one of these days and see how this works. So <clears throat> you wake up, everything is going well. And so <clears throat> there are days that, that we don't actually roll with it either, where we hook up on the wrong side of the bed and everything just, just irritates us. But uh, he talks about how we go around assuming that everybody we interact with in our lives, we assume that they are like us on a good day. We think that they would say, hey, please don't step on my toe, and we would say, oh, I'm sorry for stepping on your toe, and then you'd hug it out, and everything would be great. That's not how it typically works though, right? You know, it, 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 we assume that if we told someone, hey, you're being a jerk, they would look at us, and they'd say, oh, hey, thank you for pointing that out to me. That really helps. That's not how it typically works. Wisdom is understanding that not everyone is like you, and you aren't even like you think that you actually are. Many times when someone tells somebody else, hey, I think you're being a jerk, they come unglued or or we come unglued because that's like, how dare you tell me I'm not actually perfect? I I thought about uh, grabbing a few Facebook uh, uh, screenshots to show you of some of the stuff that you guys have said, but then I decided against it because I would think it's funny, (laughs) but you wouldn't. So... You're welcome, but I'm really just saving my own butt right now. So anyway, uh, the Scriptures teach us that there are three different specific ways uh, that people do things in life. And we can't deal with people always assuming they're going to take loving feedback well. And so sometimes you have to interact with different tactics. And these are basically the way of the wise, and the way of the fools, and the way of the evil. And we each fall into one of these categories depending upon the situation. And so what I want to do today is help you know what the Bible says of how to deal with these different types of people because that is wisdom. That is knowing how the world really works. So I'm going to start talking about the wise first because the wise are always the most pleasant people to talk about. That's why I want to talk about. So open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. Uh, the, the wise they will listen and respond well uh, wise people are not necessarily the smartest person in a given room because it's not about intelligence it's someone who when the truth comes and they see the truth they adjust their lives to the truth like if one person comes up to you and says hey uh, you don't look well today and then you're like ah whatever and then five more people say man there's something wrong with your face what do you do? You go look in a mirror, you adjust yourselves to it, because it's like, oh, a lot of people said it, there must be something wrong. Proverbs nine nine: give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Now, wise people are about humility. Uh, We assimilate, we accommodate ourselves to what the truth actually is. We take it in, and our behavior in our lives begin to change. A wise person receives information, and they let it in. They evaluate and change to the truth. This is why the scriptures teach that those who trust Jesus, even if they're not the smartest people in the world, as a matter of fact, many times Paul calls us the dregs of humanity because we're so bad, but he says that's a very wise thing. We get to become the wisdom of God because we trusted in him. Proverbs 9, eight. reprove a wise man and he will love you. Again, that's that first part of that proverb we looked at. A wise person is grateful if somebody cares enough to step into their lives and begin to, to speak the truth. They say, thank you because I really want to be better. Now, how often does that happen? Right, almost never. Almost never because we aren't the wise. I always think if everybody would just listen to me, <laughs> we'd all be better, right? When we respond well with gratitude and correction, it actually makes a relationship deepen. And instead of like when somebody says something to us, if someone does it in a way where they're not mad and screaming and yelling at us, but actually in a loving way, that takes a lot of guts for somebody to do that. And it seems like many times they're trying to do the wise thing, we just don't respond wise back to them. And so we have to understand when someone is willing to do that, to respond wisely is to listen to what they say so the relationship can actually deepen. We're not shunning each other away. We can grow our relationships. And when this happens, we become wise and they grow and we grow together and these people become a value in our lives. Uh, You will see sometimes little kids who do this. Uh, They listen and take correction really well. You'll see other little kids who don't. But this also goes for us. When God's Spirit comes and God's Spirit convicts us and we confess that the Things in our lives that God is convicting us about. We tell other people about it. The word confess literally means to agree with, that we agree with God about the things in our lives, and so we confess, God, you are right, and I am wrong. And we should seek out relationships with those who are wise around us, who love us enough to speak the truth. But unfortunately, many of us we are friends with fools because we ourselves are fools. I mean, you could probably right now give me a few people in your life who maybe you tried to have a wise conversation with and it went poorly because they just didn't want to hear it. It could also be sometimes maybe you thought you said something you were saying, but you didn't. Like, you're like, hey, you know that one time I was angry? Yeah, well, there's that. That doesn't help, okay? It's like, here's the issue. You said this. This is what happened. I want to talk about this thing. You don't beat around the bush because wise people appreciate it when you say exactly what it is and what you need to talk about. You are plain to them. You speak plain words. Now, when you speak plain words to a wise person, they appreciate it, but now let's talk about the fool's. So when you speak plain words to a fool, they don't appreciate it because they don't typically listen. A fool could actually be the smartest person in a given room. But where the wise person comes and he takes what people say to heart in their life and changes, a fool does the opposite. I am somebody who, if someone comes and wants to confront me about something, it typically takes me a day to think about what you have said and then to go back and say, yes, you're right. If you come and you want to go after me for something, I will typically argue with you, like for a good 24 hours. I'm like, do you really believe this? And I will, people hate confronting me because I'm just like, "Ah," right, because I act like a fool. And it takes me about 24 hours to think through it, and then I kind of begin to change. A fool rejects the feedback instead of adjusting themselves to the truth. They adjust the truth to fit themselves. They say, there is something wrong with what you are telling me. It's always somebody else's fault. So a fool is someone who blames. A fool is someone who blames. And no matter how hard you try to get them to see, the blame is never anywhere near themselves. It's, you didn't explain it well enough. You didn't say what you're trying to say. I didn't have enough resources. I'm too tired. You're too blunt. They're too mean. A fool never says, thank you for telling me the truth and confronting me. Proverbs 9, 7, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. They will be like, how dare you say this thing to me? That's why it says, Proverbs 9 and 8, "...do not reprove a scoffer, he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you." Because you're meant to see the difference between the wise and the fool. A fool will go after you and try to destroy you, even when you're trying to help, because they do not see it as help." Fools will tend to cause a lot of pain in lives around them. And the sad thing is, many times, we are the fools. This is why I always say, when someone has the guts to confront us about something, our first question should always be, is there any truth in this? There may not be any truth in it. But I think it's value for us to sit back and go, is there truth in what they're saying? I was talking to Michelle G. She leads music. They got the twins now, so you don't see her as much anymore. Uh, but Michelle G. Uh, was saying something to me about two weeks before I put this message together, and she said to me, "I think you need to be more compassionate about this thing that's that's going on." She said it in a really nice way, but I immediately thought, "Well, that's because she's afraid to get in someone's face, and she's just a nice hipster hippie." Right? <laughs> that's that's what I thought, right? And instead of listening, I immediately thought there was something wrong with her. What did that make me? A fool exactly it made me a fool someone says oh is this your mia culpa I'm like oh, yeah it's my mea culpa you, know, you may know what that means okay uh, I'm, I'm confessing to you my, my sin because I'm a horrible person and, and instead of listening again I thought there was something wrong with her a, a wise person starts at a place of listening and not negating John Gottman is a psychology professor. He's best known for his work on marital stability. And he says if you want to know if a couple is going to be divorced within seven years of their wedding, you look at four behaviors. Uh, these are the four behaviors. I'll give them to you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, number one is this. He calls them actually the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I love it. Uh, first one is called criticism. Now, criticism is different than critiques. Critique is you didn't call me when you were late and I was worried about you. Criticism is you never think about anybody but yourself. Do you see the difference? Huge difference. Okay. The second thing he talks about is contempt, where you mock or you ridicule someone. Uh, Contempt is fueled by these negative thoughts about somebody else. Oh, you're tired after work? Cry me a river. I had to watch these kids all day. Or I had to work all day. You got to stay home all day. Why are you so tired? It's this contempt for one another's position. Third thing, he says, is stonewalling. This is when someone shuts someone else down when they're trying to talk to them, rather than communicating, rather than dealing with issues. You just put it all out there until at some point you just boom and you blow up. And he says the fourth thing is defensiveness. You find some way to blame somebody else for the problem. Why are you mad at me? You know how busy I am. If it's important to you, do it yourself. It's that kind of thing. A fool gets mad and gets defensive. The Bible says when you plainly confront a fool, all sorts of bad things can happen. The problem is, many times if people are wise enough to go in and have the guts to confront somebody about something, we assume the other person is going to be wise when we talk to them. But many times they are fools, and then we don't like how they respond, and so we stop responding in wisdom, and we start acting like a fool, and it just melts down because you got a couple of fools trying to talk to each other, and it's should be on TV on a soap opera because it's just funny at that point. So you have to understand what kind of people you're actually talking to. And if you're and if you're wise and you're talking to somebody and they're not taking it, you have to take a step back and go, well, what kind of person am I actually talking to right now? Because many times if you're talking to a fool, you've got to take a different direction. You have to take a different tact about it. Sometimes you have to have an honest conversation and say, look, I believe I have plainly asked you to do blank or to not do blank. And since you don't value what I am asking you, I'm going to have to limit my exposure and go a different direction. Now practically, if that's with a friend, maybe you stop letting them in your life with that destruction. If it's a kid, that means you bring discipline. If it's a coworker or an employee, you either let them go or you go around them. Sometimes it's also very valuable to ask when you're talking to a fool, is there some feedback that I could give you in a way that would actually matter? And you don't say it like, can I ever tell anything so it would matter? You don't say it like that. You say, hey, I love you. I want our relationship to be better. So what how can I talk to you in a way that would make this make this better? And no one's going to say, oh, I don't care. Most times they will say, well, maybe we could do this. Because you can say, I can't continue to expose myself to this, so is there a way you'll actually listen to me and follow through? And if they give you something, you have every right to say, and if that doesn't work, what should I then do? And then you can say, if it doesn't work, I'm going to have to limit my exposure to this. And wise people listen. Fools, you move to limits and consequences. You have to do that. And I know nothing's ever perfect, especially if if this is your marriage or something like that. But we need to be able to see the type of person we are dealing with. Because until we do that, we're never going to be able to speak of hope and life and grace into that situation until we see who we're really talking to. And you have to understand, the Bible has great hope for foolish people. It really does, because we are all foolish at one point. And the Bible speaks that fools aren't necessarily bad people. And if we got rid of all the fools, there'd be no one left. Or we at least wouldn't have any fun friends around, right? A fool many times is just dumb. And this then leads to the third category of the evil. Of the evil. An evil person is someone who is engaged in evil. Sometimes an evil person isn't necessarily evil, they're just engaged in evil stuff. Like a fool can cause lots of pain because of their own stupidity, but an evil person sometimes will actually get a perverse joy out of causing pain. Uh, Evil has a desire to will the bad for someone. Love is a desire to will the good for someone. Evil wills the bad. Proverbs 24, verses 1 and 2. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk trouble. Their intent in their heart is destruction. You ever cross somebody, and they sought to destroy you, even though you had no idea that you did that thing? That's an evil that's an evil response. I, I once had a boss one time who who asked me about this thing and he said, Hey, so what do you think about this? And I didn't agree with what he thought, and I said, This is what I think. And he got so angry at me and called me names and says, I'm ready to fire you right now. And I'm like I didn't know that that was the question. I, <laughs> can I answer differently? Uh, sometimes uh, teenage girls, they will do this. They'll act evil towards one another. I've read and heard of preachers caught in sin, and their boards will try to go and talk to them and say things like, I will bring this church down if you don't back up. I believe pastors can also be evil. So how do you deal then with an evil person? The wise you talk and give feedback to, the fools you don't talk to but give limits and consequences, and there's always hope in that. What do you do for the evil? The evil you pray for, but you protect yourself and others from them. Scott Peck once had this, had this book called The People of the Lie. And he speaks about how pe- some people have destruction as intent in their hearts. And we must seek to protect the good when that comes around us. Proverbs 27, verse 12. The prudent, that's the word for wise, sees danger and hides himself. It doesn't mean that we run away from conflict. It's that if there's a snare or a trap in front of us, we don't go into the the trap that's sitting in front of us but then it says but the simple that's the fool go on and suffer for it so the fool's like boom right in the trap when you're wise you sit back and you look and you see situations and know how to go and interact with those situations in our culture we create we create nice and loving with being weak and getting run over but the scriptures teach that sometimes the most loving thing you can do is stop someone who is evil Evil people typically have this thing where they know exactly how to manipulate somebody who says they believe in Jesus. Oh, you're a Christian. You're supposed to treat me like this. You're supposed to do that. All the while manipulating to get their evil back into your life. Anybody ever? Don't raise your hand. Okay, raise your hand. Yeah, Yeah, it it, it happens. It happens a lot. Uh, In in the lecture from Henry Cloud I was listening to, he, he references this old Warren Zevin song called Lawyers, Guns, and Money. And I would never heard it, but when he talked about it, it sounded really funny to me. Uh, and he, So sometimes, in, in the song he talks about with evil people, he goes, sometimes talking doesn't help and fighting doesn't help, and sometimes it comes down to, I can only talk to you through my attorney. When the Bible talks about forgiveness, our culture thinks it means ongoing relationship. And in one sense, it's true. You cannot have ongoing relationship without forgiveness. But reconciliation takes two people willing to forgive and step in and act wisely towards one another. Sometimes the most loving and forgiving thing you can do with someone who is evil is let them go into the hands of God and let God be the one who takes care of them away from you. I have prayed with people about this before. God, we're going to let this person go into your hands, do whatever you need to do to bring them to a place of humbleness where they trust you and this evil gets taken care of in their life. In talking about these things, we have to understand on given days, we are all, every single one of us, like one type of these people. When you hurt someone and, or someone hurts you and you want to hurt them back, that, that's evil. When you do something stupid, even if you didn't realize it, that's being a fool. And when we are a people who understand our lives sometimes run these ways and take a step back, we get to start to be wise. And that's what we're supposed to be, wise in the end. We'll be wise when we see how God ultimately wants us to respond in our own lives and repent to him and then respond to other people. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important and so paramount in everything that we do. Jesus is true. He is real. He champions forgiveness and grace. That's why God is a God of grace. We understand that God's grace, what it did for us, how he rescued us when we were evil and when we were foolish and when we continue to be that way. And when we understand that, we can see people where they are and also pray and offer grace in some of those situations as well. God knows our story because it's his story. Not that he's evil or foolish, but he is sovereign over our lives. When, When Jesus preached his message, it wasn't always received well. He wasn't always received well. People wanted to kill him for it. They reacted like fools, and yet he still gives his life for us. Jesus comes, he preaches the good news of what God is doing in the world, the rescue and redemption of calling his people back in again. And he calls people to repentance and new life, and they reacted like fools in the evil. What you see eventually in Matthew chapter 13 is it tells you that Jesus stopped teaching the people plainly, and just started teaching in parables. He would explain these parables to his disciples, but the people he taught in parables. Because he realized sometimes these people are foolish and I need to go. Jesus lived the wisdom literature. He had the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are always trying to kill him. And Jesus keeps them in arm's distance as he teaches and loves on the people that these evil people are trying to destroy. And Jesus didn't stop sometimes when it was places where he had to confront them and deal with them, but he does all of these things. And eventually what happened, when he preaches, they rose up and they wanted to kill him, and they did kill him. But Jesus comes as the wisdom of God to grow into people who live in wisdom. And those who reject him reject true wisdom. I actually ran into someone the week I was putting this message together, uh, and they have a problem with their kids in their home, and it's okay that I share with, with you. I ask people now, can I share this? And have, most times they say yes, sometimes they say no, but okay, but they said yes. Anyway. Um at this point, the parents were very wishy-washy with the gospel and what it meant in their lives. And so I usually ask this question. I say, I say, how are you living out the gospel, the goodness of Jesus, in your home? Now at this point, they didn't really know what to do with that because to them, the gospel in their mind meant, I get to go to heaven when I die. That That's, that's like the gospel. They didn't understand that the gospel is good for every single day. That what Jesus went through actually speaks directly into our lives and the grace and the goodness that he offers actually changes who we are day, day by day. And these parents started to feel like God had failed them because he didn't magically fix their kids without any effort or energy on their part. And what they were doing was refusing to look at their kids at the foolishness and the evil that was there and refusing to see it through the lens of the grace of the gospel. I will tell you, when we can see all of our lives through the lens of the grace of the gospel, it changes everything. We better understand who Jesus was and what he did and the relationships around us. We can have relationships when we begin to understand how people are responding and reacting around us, and we can act wisely accordingly. Guys, Jesus comes to rescue us out of our foolish and evil ways and restore us to God. The gospel truly does speak into every single situation with wisdom that changes our lives. Jesus' life, it speaks a better word than trying to figure it all out on our own. We are a people who are called to trust him in what we say and what we do. And the only way we will bring about a God-honoring culture with wisdom is by first trusting him in all things, then living out that wisdom by seeing who and how we are responding to people and who and how we are talking to people and who they are coming back at us. The gospel is a father who loves us even when our fathers fail. It is a God who has the highest moral standards of all, and yet he meets those standards for us. The gospel speaks of a love given to us when we are evil and foolish. And it speaks about how we are to live out a life of great calling and great grace in our culture. I think that we need to begin to see all the ways that we have responded to Jesus, like the evil and the fools that we are, and begin to understand that God calls us to live in true and real wisdom. Because we don't always act like the wise, but we are being invited to it through His grace being invited to live out the grace and the good news that he has given to us. We are being invited to then look at the people we interact with and see how am I interacting with them and how are they responding so we can begin to understand how we have these relationships, how the gospel can speak into all these things. Uh, You know, as, As I said, we are ambassadors of Jesus to this world. That means we interact in our relationships with wisdom understanding who we are talking to and how they are responding to us so we can rightly respond with the gospel in a way that makes sense to the people exactly where they are at. And it is not easy to do. As you notice, I'm I'm not giving you all the answers this morning because I don't have all the answers. But that's where we trust the good news of the gospel. That in a situation, and maybe you're trying to be a wise person and someone's coming back at you and you don't know if it's evil or foolish how they're coming at you, just take a second and just pray, God, give me wisdom right now. Teach me how to respond. Let me know what to do so I can be your representative to this situation right now. And God, many times when you do that, brings a peace that begins to settle over you. And you don't feel like you have to react and respond to everything that's said back. And you instead get to respond to them. And sometimes that's simply, you know what, this doesn't go anywhere. How about, can I just pray for you? And most times people are going to be like, no. And if they do, well then you're out of the hook. <laughs> <laughs> and most times they'll be, oh, sure. And then it actually diffuses a lot of situations. You can pray right there in the midst of it. But it's important for us to understand how we first are responding as God's ambassadors to this world. Because this is why I think communion on a weekly basis is so important for us. You come to this place and you break a cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me as his people. That this is the place where God took all of the wrath against sin at this place. He took all of our foolishness and all of our evil upon himself and he in turn offers us new life and new grace that we get to be a born again people. We get to be a people whose lives are brand new because of what he did. And that means we don't have to walk around trying to find our own self-identities and all the things that we do. We find all that we are and who He is. And then we can actually respond wisely to this world because our lives are found first in Him. The band's going to come up. As they do, I invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons in the back. And if you guys need prayer, if you have a relationship in your life right now that you don't know what kind of person you're dealing with and you would like some prayer about that, uh, they would love to pray with you about that. Maybe help you begin to understand what steps you can then take and how you can talk and begin to work through some of these things. Uh, how to, how to you know, pray that the good news of the gospel actually makes sense in the midst of this relationship that, that you're in. And how you can best express the gospel in a way that, that makes sense to bring hope and healing to this. And it, and it may not bring hope and healing right at that moment. But it may be a process of you continuing to live like the wise trusting Jesus in all things and allowing him to bring this back around in a way that will honor him and then one day bring reconciliation to this relationship. Uh, I I think that sometimes because of the culture we live in, and again, this is knowing the culture we live in, uh, we like everything to tie up at the end of 22 minutes like a sitcom. right? Oh, here's the answer. Oh, it's done. Yay, everything's better. That's not life. It's not life. You know, a lot of life is like a, the end of your favorite show where you have this cliffhanger at the end. That's like conversations with with fools and with evil people. It's always cliffhanger. What's going to happen? We don't know, right? That's, that's like a lot of life. And so many times it takes time. So we trust God at each step that he takes us into. And even when we don't see the back and how something's going to work out, we trust him live in the good news of the gospel, the good news that he has brought of his rescue and salvation of us, and live that out in wise ways in our relationships, because that is how we become his ambassadors to the world. Uh, There's offering boxes next to every door we give because God gave so much to us giving as part of our worship, so you have that opportunity every week. Uh, There's food outside, grab something to eat. If you don't have a lot of friends, don't know a lot of people, meet some other people, grab some sermon notes, take the questions in there and ask them to one another, maybe over lunch or dinner or something this week, get involved in the gospel community. Uh, you know, go through some of that stuff. When, are, you know, when have you this week reacted like a fool or reacted like someone who was evil? Where have you acted like wise? Or who have you interacted this week who has been foolish or wise or, or evil? And, and talk about maybe ways that you could understand the situation better and speak better words in that based upon the gospel of what Jesus has done to rescue and save you. And so that we can become a people, again, who live out as his ambassadors in this world the good news and the grace of the gospel. Because our God is good. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us practically day by day to understand and live in your good news. That we'd be a people who become wise because we have trusted you with every part of our lives. That we'd be those who walk in grace and hope and wisdom because we are following our King who has rescued us. I ask for the relationships we have in our lives. That if we haven't been an ambassador for you there yet, we would start to be. And we would speak of your grace and your goodness. That we would, that you would see and have the insight to understand what type of people we are talking to at a given time. And what type of people we are in the midst of our conversations at a given time. And that we would see when we're not wise, that you would reveal that to our heart in the moment. And we would stop and we would change. And you would teach us to be a people who conform ourselves to the truth. To be a people who trust you when your spirit convicts our heart and we confess, God, you are right. And so often we are so wrong. And then we would then go out and speak the truth in the relationships around us. That we would trust you for all things because you are Good and that we would live out your wisdom, and the culture that we begin to bring about we one that honors you. That we'd bring dignity and worth to those around us, because you call us to. And that we would do all things, that the gospel is lifted up and you are glorified. We ask all these things in your son's good name. Amen.